This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're talking about how to share our needs so others can hear them in episode number 181. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, ladies. It is Kristen, and today we are going to talk about sharing our needs, which is something that many women find incredibly difficult. Even with themselves, you may have trouble and struggle to even share what your needs are with yourself. Let's just dive into talking about it. Why, first of all, why don't women share their needs? I think part of it is because women are nurturers naturally. Women even women who don't want to be parents or who don't feel particularly like they're motherly people, they they nurture things. Women, if you think about a business or an office, often there's somebody who is looking out for everybody on the team and is in that kind of a motherly role that is usually a woman, even if she doesn't have her own kids. And then, of course, we have mothers. But we have many organizations that are headed by women or who important supportive roles are held by women who are in that nurturing and supportive role because it is something that seems to come more naturally to women. And I can say that even... I would say, you've heard me say before, I think I even said it on the last podcast episode, I'm pretty analytical. I would say that, you know, I'm a tech geek. I love computers and all of that kind of stuff. Um, But I definitely would say I feel a little bit more nourishing and nurturing, even though I have those aspects of my personality that might seem more analytical and like boyish. I also still have that really girlish nurturing energy. And of course, I'm also not saying that I think that boys can't be nourishing or nurturing, but it's important to realize that we we as women have that kind of default nurturing, taking care of others, and that often means putting ourselves uh, last. <laughs> often, you don't really even think about what you need or consider what you need. Or if you do, it's on this... I don't know, like this superficial social media trendy thing of like, you know, I'm going to go out and have me time and girl time. And it almost seems fake and contrived when like, you know, mommies need their wine breaks and all of that shopping breaks. And it may be that you actually love to shop like my mom and my aunts actually did love going out and shopping like outlet malls together. I never got the appeal. But they enjoyed that. So if you enjoy that, that's fine. But oftentimes, like I said, on social media, it almost feels contrived. Kind of how women talk about, oh, you know, I'm taking time for me. It's it's almost combative. And that's not really what it means to understand our needs or to make our needs known or to communicate them. Sometimes we may have to set firm boundaries and say, you know, I, I need some time to nurture myself. But usually it doesn't seem snarky, which is a lot of times how that social media stuff seems, though it can. So let's just dive in and and we'll come back maybe to those nuances. But again, you're busy, you're juggling children, you may be juggling a marriage, you may be juggling other kinds of relationships, you may be in a sandwich generation 
where you've got aging parents and young children. You may have a career going on too. There are a lot of things that end up with you on the back burner. And so you just don't share your needs because that oftentimes taking care of us and sharing our needs feels like one more thing on our to-do list. And well, that's something that nobody's going to fuss at us if we drop it. And so we drop it. But it, it doesn't do us any service to drop taking care of us. A good way to start sharing your needs effectively is to listen to your needs. Listen to what you need and what your body needs. When I have women who come to me and they say things like, you know, people tell me with pregnancy to follow my instincts and just to do what feels right. And I, yeah, Chris and I don't have any idea. I tell them to start really small. Like, if you feel thirsty, get a drink of water. And the other one that I say is, if you feel like you need to pee, get up and go to the bathroom. Because those are two small things, two small ways that you can start listening to physical needs, which tend to give more of a signal to us than emotional or mental needs. But, you know, we can take that, we can listen to that, we can honor that, and basically start building your ability to hear and to observe and to honor what you need and you'll start to notice more things. I think sometimes women struggle with realizing that they're hungry. A lot of times pregnancy is a help for that because you get to like second trimester and all of a sudden you're ravenous. You're like, oh my gosh, Chris and I have got to eat right now. And that's a gift. But some women struggle even with hunger signals because they've ignored them so long because of body image issues or just being super busy or whatever. And they don't even really realize when they're hungry or their body has stopped trying to say, hey, I'm hungry because it's so used to being ignored. And so in that case, you might just start with small rhythms and routines to your day. Like, for example, I'm going to make sure that I have breakfast every morning by this time. And that might be a tiny way that you start. And then I'm going to have lunch and I'm going to have dinner. I'm going to make sure I have three meals a day. And then if you're listening to Kristen's nutrition advice, you're going to also add a snack in there while you're pregnant. So I'm going to have a morning snack and an afternoon snack and maybe a before bed snack too, because I want to make sure that I'm getting the protein and the healthy fat and that sort of thing that my baby's body and brain needs. And your baby can be a good motivation. But sometimes, so sometimes you aren't even listening to your needs. But I would say start small. And if there's a need that you know you should have, for example, eating consistently and you struggle with that, start with like a tiny, tiny habit kind of way. B.J. Fogg's book, Tiny Habits, can be a good thing to look at. I'll put that in the show notes. So... Again, start by listening to your needs. Start gathering information. Like if you're feeling like there's something not right here or there's something that's really important to me that I want to communicate to this person, then you may gather information on it. And and in my outline I wrote about, or I have gathering information first, but I think I'm actually going to jump to the next point and come back to gathering information. So the first thing that I want is as you start listening to those little cues and little signals that your body is giving you, is I also want you to start to believe in your worth. Believe that you are worthy because you are. Because you exist. Because you are here. You are worthy. You are worthy of being listened to, of being heard. And you are worthy of the, you know, the ability to communicate your needs. 
You are worthy of having needs and you are worthy of getting those needs met. You are worthy of that. A lot of women struggle with feeling like they're worthy or they feel like they'll only, this is one thing, I really, really, really still struggle with this. I will be worthy of XYZ when I have accomplished ABC. I really struggle with it. I think about, you know, I'll finally have the business be where I want it to be to support me and the kids when I do XYZ. Or I will finally have things be more peaceful when I've done XYZ with the kids or whatever. It's just really, really hard, I think, for me to say, you know what, I'm worthy of feeling good and feeling safe and enjoying my days, even if they're still rough, even if I'm not a perfect mom, even if I don't make perfect financial decisions every single day. I'm still worthy of being able to sit back and enjoy my life. And for me, working too much is a big problem. So for me, it's I'm, you know, I'm worthy of being able to say, okay, I'm done for the night. I'm going to have some time to read and do things that I enjoy for me. So anyways, whatever it is for you, I want you to be able to say I'm worthy and that you deserve to feel good and to be happy. Again, that's a really hard thing. Maybe you think, I don't deserve to be happy because this happened or I made these mistakes. Or maybe you feel like, I don't deserve to be happy because I haven't earned happiness yet. Like I was saying, that's kind of what I struggle with. I haven't earned it yet. And for some of you, it might be, I think for me, I realized like looking back, like I made a lot of mistakes in my teenage years. So I was kind of a brat. Wasn't fair to my parents. But I've, I've forgiven that, that Kristen. Um, and I've moved forward and I feel pretty strong. But for me, I still don't necessarily feel like I've earned the right to be happy. And that's like bogus. That's bunk. And it's, it's the same for you. Regardless of the mistakes that you made and regardless of the accomplishments that you haven't yet reached, you still deserve to feel good and to be happy. And that doesn't mean there won't be challenging days. But it does mean that you you get to make small choices every day that help you. You get to say, okay, I'm going to read a chapter of a book tonight instead of working myself to the bone. Or I get to, uh, something this morning, I was working um, on some homeschool planning and one of my kids came up and said, hey, mama, can you come look at this? And what he had done is there's a mirror in the kid's bathroom and he had taken the floor length mirror that normally hangs on the girl's room door and he had put it on the bathroom door uh, so that the two mirrors were facing each other. So they made an infinite mirror and he wanted me to come and see that. And so I said, yes, I'll get up, I'll stop what I'm doing, and I will come and see that. And there are sometimes, like right now, if one of my kids were to ask that while I'm in the middle of recording this podcast, I'd probably be like, no. But for me to say that, okay, well, I have permission to get up and to enjoy my kids, or on Wednesday morning, I'm not going to work at all. I'm going to take my kids to the library to do a summer reading craft. Giving myself permission to do that with them, or even giving myself permission for me, I think I'm going to go out with a friend on a kayak on Thursday evening. That's for me, <laughs> you know? So giving yourself permission to say, even if, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not running a, yeah, I'm not yet running a million dollar company here, ladies, but I'm still going to give myself permission to take a night out on the river in a kayak. You know, those are little things. Even if I, I'm not arrived yet, or even if I made a lot of mistakes, like I could say, gosh, I made a lot of bad mistakes, you know, things have been challenging for me in relationships and stuff, so I don't deserve, you know, just be con consumed by guilt. 
I don't want that to be there for you. And I use examples from my life because they're examples that come up and they require picking on myself or, you know, they mean I'm picking on me and I'm not picking on somebody else. So I want you to learn from my life experiences, which is why I share them. But what I want you to do, the summation of this, is I want you to believe in your worth. And I want you to believe that you deserve to feel good and happy. Because when you feel like, you know what, I have the right to, maybe we'll go with the standard American thought of, I believe that I have the right to the pursuit of those things, even if it won't come automatically to me. Because it does, you know, happiness actually requires you to, to have some self-government and to take responsibility for your actions and for the consequences of your actions and to speak up for yourself and to analyze and assess your needs, it requires some some work, some inner work on your part and some communication on your part and making decisions that are responsible on your part as well as grace and forgiveness for the times that you didn't do those things. So it doesn't mean that things are going to float to you on a happy cloud with rainbows and unicorns springling, you know, springing off of them. But... It does mean that you, you know, you get to say, this is the default that I want. And I want to be able to shift into this place where I'm enjoying this. And sometimes there will be times that I have to make my needs known that I need other people's help. Don't be an island unto yourself either. Like realize sometimes other people do impact my happiness. And even if I can shift and change my perspective, the kids and I just finished listening to Pollyanna on audiobook, which I really like. Pollyanna because I feel like Pollyanna consistently shifts to a good attitude but she doesn't do it in an unrealistic way. She does it in a way that's habitual and many of us don't have that habit and so we think it's unrealistic but for her it's just become a habit to say here's a difficult situation I understand it and then I'm going to shift and look at it from another perspective and even when she had a heart like she said okay when somebody had passed away she recognized this isn't necessarily a time to shift. It's a time to hold this space. And then when she was hurt and she was having a hard time, she ultimately allowed other people to help her to shift. And, you know, so it's it's a thing where we make choices and decisions, um, but it does sometimes require other people's input and it requires us and our own inner exploration. So let's go back to gathering information. So when you're gathering information and thinking about what you want and what you need, that can help you communicate with other people. And gathering information can mean information about how you think and feel, as well as other information. Like, for example, if what you're doing is you're trying to communicate that it's really important to me to be supported by a midwife, I want to have this baby at home, that kind of thing, and your, your um, husband or partner is skeptical of that, then you may gather information that helps you understand your own position and why it's important to you and clarify why it's important to you. And then also it can just be information that can help them see general things like the safety of home birth and that kind of thing. And there are many different situations in parenting and relationship that are like that. You might be making the case for a particular neighborhood that you want to move to or a particular vehicle or something like that. So sometimes gathering information is there. But mostly we're wanting to look inside of us because really that's the big thing. I want you to think in feelings. That doesn't mean that you're controlled by your feelings. It, it means that you think about what, what are my feelings on this issue? What am I feeling? And it, it actually tends to require deep analysis because we're not used to thinking in our feelings or we're scared of feelings. 
and we feel vulnerable when when we think in feelings. So you might be scared of feelings like anger. Oh, I'm if I'm angry, I'm I'm bad. That's something that's conditioned into us. That's something I talk to my kids about a lot. It is absolutely okay for you to feel angry at your brother or sister right now. Now, we can't hurt somebody else when we're angry with them, but we can say to them, I'm angry at you, brother or sister, because you took my truck. You know, you can say, I feel angry. So anger in and of itself can be explosive, but it's also freeing to be able to say, gosh, I feel so angry right now. And you don't necessarily even have to say to the other person, your behavior made me feel angry. You can just say, gosh, I feel so angry right now. I feel so angry right now because having a good birth is so important to me because I know that this birth is is my baby's start in the world and I just, I feel frustrated and angry when I think about having to go to the hospital when I'm in labor and there's contractions and, and I'll be feeling pain and I'm, I feel kind of scared about that and thinking that I'm also going to have to fight off the doctors and care providers telling me that they want to do this to me and they want to do that to me. And I know that if I was at home, that, that some of those things wouldn't be available and some of those things the midwife doesn't do and I would feel supported and safe and I would know that there's a team there that's committed to helping me get through it without medications that might impact my baby and they're going to be there and help me breathe. And I just, you know, I feel angry to think that I have to choose between an experience that would be really a good experience for me and baby and another experience because you know that's just the way that it's done and and what people think is normal and so again that was like a hypothetical thing that I went into but that's you explaining I feel angry and I feel scared you're being really vulnerable which is scary but did you notice that I explained feelings without really pointing fingers I just shared those feelings of anger and of fear and of, you know, there was some hope there. Like you could even say that, like, I feel hopeful when I think, oh, the midwife's going to be there. I feel safer. You know, it feels safe to think about the midwife being there and helping me through that. And it feels scary to think about being in a hospital. That's you sharing feelings. And ultimately, when you think about it, that's really what matters, That's really the core. The core of that particular problem that I chose for an example because it's relevant to many of you ladies listening as an audience. The core problem is probably not that you're upset that your partner or your mom or whomever is pressuring you into having a hospital birth. I mean, you may feel angry at them for that and that's it. But when you think about it, why do you feel angry at them? It's because you feel scared about what might happen to you at the hospital. You feel scared. I, I feel scared because I am I might lose control and end up with things that I didn't want to happen. Again, that's the core is you feel scared about losing control. You feel scared of interventions. When you think about this other situation, this other provider, you feel like you'll be, I, I would feel safer. I would feel supported. That's the core. So when you, do you see how when you look at your feelings in a situation, it helps you go deeper. A good example with parenting, this is one that I think about a lot because I feel frustrated with Phoenix because he doesn't listen very well. I think I mentioned either on this episode or the last that I've been doing some homeschool planning. And, you know, it's one of the things that I've written for Phoenix, who's going to be kind of kindergarten age, just getting to kindergarten age next year, is he has trouble following directions. 
and I've written that a few times and in different like areas where I'm doing kind of my year in review and thinking about my goals for each child for next year and that kind of thing is he has trouble following directions which is true he needs to work on following directions and I think about it like you know he needs to follow directions because he's going to be starting scouts next year with the siblings and he's got to be able to follow directions and when we go to library events he needs to be able to listen to the librarian and that sort of thing but when I think deeply I think why do I get frustrated that Phoenix doesn't listen to directions or why do I feel angry I think about it it's because I feel embarrassed is because I feel embarrassed and I feel guilty. Like if he acts out, say, at church and I feel like people's eyes are on him and on me, I feel embarrassed and I feel hurt and frustrated. It brings up a million things. Like I feel I feel embarrassed and I feel like everybody's looking at me. I feel like I'm lacking as a mom because I haven't had the energy and the time to sit down and teach him to really listen to and follow instructions and like it says something about my parenting and then I might, you know, again, and I might feel angry again. Like I feel kind of angry because people at church see the reality of my life, but nobody's, nobody's saying, let me come help. Like when I'm doing, you know, when I'm giving a prayer request about my mom having health issues and Phoenix is kind of melting down in my lap. Why didn't somebody at church come over and take him so that I could talk? And, you know, then I feel angry. But again, I realize I felt angry about that situation because I felt embarrassed and I felt forgotten and I felt a little bit hopeless and frustrated. Like people don't see me. I felt lonely. Do you see how digging into this real life situation, it ultimately doesn't become about the other people and what they did or didn't do, whether that was Phoenix acting up or whether that was people at church who didn't step in and say, you know what, let me take him to the other room so that you can share this prayer request. It was really about those feelings in me. And that is so helpful. I mean, in some ways it's scary because it reaches to a vulnerable place in you. But it's helpful because it helps you start to take ownership and have that self-government. I like, uh, that's from Nicolene Peck um, at Teaching Self-Government, which is, uh, that's a parenting system that I really like. Um and Nicolene talks about self-government. And when you really stop and look at your feelings, it helps you take self-government because it takes the onus off of other people, or at least it helps you understand why do other people affect me? Why do their decisions affect me? Why do they upset me? Why? It helps you understand those feelings, and then you can take ownership for that, and and, and you can work on those things. And it it may mean talking to other people or it may mean making decisions. Like for me, one of the reasons why I've written down Phoenix has trouble following directions in my homeschool planning is because that will help remind me that we need to work on some things that help increase his skill for following directions, like playing simple games and that sort of thing. We're following directions as part of it. And he starts to realize that. So that helps me take ownership of that situation and realize things that I can do. And it takes the emotional burden off of him. Like it takes the emotional burden away from him. And it helps me be calmer when I'm dealing with him because I realize that the anger isn't really about his behavior. It's about how I feel about his behavior. And so it helps me be proactive 
in shaping that behavior in the future because certainly he does need to follow directions. Those things like he needs to be able to listen to the librarian and scouts. He needs to be able to listen to mom for safety reasons. Those things are valid. But instead of in the moment exploding at him, it helps me create situations where we learn those skills and where we can be intentional about them. So I don't want to go off on too much of a, a tangent, but hopefully it helps you see. And it helps you to see like things like the church situation that I just shared that really happened. And the reality is, is probably at this point in my life, I'm, I'm not going to say anything at church about that. I'm just going to choose to say, you know what, this feels hurt, but it's building on some other hurts and I'm just going to let it go right now. And I'm going to say, you know, Lord, help me to forgive and realize that other people are busy and that might not have even occurred to them. And, you know, if they were thinking negative things about me, that's about them and not about me. And I'm just going to let it go and choose to move on. And sometimes you will do that. So you can see how I looked at my feelings and I made proactive choices with both of them. One of them was to let it go. And one of them was to say, okay, well, I'm going to not react in anger to my child, but I am going to make sure that I intentionally find some time to teach these skills that I think that he needs. So those are ways that our looking at our feelings really helps us. And it helps us to be ready to communicate them. Now, another thing that you really also need to do is you need to know your own boundaries. Like, one second, ladies. All right, sorry about that, ladies. Okay, so I, I also want you to think about boundaries because boundaries are important. Like, there are going to be times when you communicate your feelings and you don't get feedback that you like or you don't get feedback that is acceptable to you and it is okay to have boundaries. For example... A situation like with a child being disobedient, you can decide, I need to do some work on helping this child learn to do better. And so I'm going to tolerate some public embarrassment, but there may also be a point that you don't tolerate, especially when you know we've been practicing these things and we go to library story time and he or she still gets out of control during story time. I'm not going to get angry even though I feel embarrassed and I might feel frustrated because we've worked on this and, and kids still messing up. So you've decided in advance, okay, I'm going to take them out of the room for a minute, help both of us calm down, and then go back in. But if they act up again, we're going to leave. A rule that I have that came from, uh, I think, the dinner playbook is at the dinner table, if kids start playing with their food, I will say, you know what? You need to stop playing with your food. If they continue playing with their food, okay, your meal is done and their meal is done. That's a boundary, right? So there are boundaries that help us. Um, something like a boundary that you might have in a relationship is, with, say with your child, is you can feel really angry at me. I'm okay with you feeling angry at me, but calling names and hitting isn't okay. So if you call names or hit, you know, you're going to need to go to the calm down spot or... It can be, I'm going to walk away. You don't necessarily even have to move the child. It's like, I'm going to walk to the other room because it's okay for you to be angry, but I don't have to listen to you say or do hurtful things. So that's a boundary that you can set. You could set the same thing with a spouse or, or a partner who hopefully they're old enough not to call names, but sometimes in the heat of the moment, we all get there. But you could say, you know what, I understand that you're really upset and that, you know what, you get to say what you want to say, but I don't have to listen to it and I'm going to walk away. And then walk away. And you're probably going to leave a person there who's dumbfounded 
behind you. So when you're thinking about your feelings and especially thinking about how you're going to communicate to other people, it is okay to think about boundaries and what you're willing to accept and not. So let's talk about a couple situations where you might be communicating with other people. And one is if you're talking to like your husband or partner and then also if you're talking to a care provider, which that kind of builds on what we talked about last week as well. But if you're talking to your husband or partner, use feeling messages. Remember the example that I gave where I was pretending to be a mom who a home birth felt really important to her. I used, I talked about my feelings. I didn't say, you know, you're a big blue meanie, you're a scaredy cat because, you know, you're ignoring evidence, you, 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 you. I talked about how I was feeling and how it felt to me. That, that tends to work well with guys um, because they respond to women's feelings because they're kind of genetically programmed to to respond to women's feelings even though that seems weird like one of the reasons why guys feel frustrated or upset is because they are wired to want you to be happy and when you're not happy they feel frustrated and upset and they can get angry and of course your happiness is not your partner's responsibility Um, but when you look at your own feelings and you understand your feelings, you can communicate it better with him. So going back to the example that I gave earlier, you know, when I think about going to the hospital, I feel scared and I feel upset and I feel angry that I'm stuck with that when, when, you know, a home birth is an option. There's a home birth midwife and I know that I would feel, I would feel listened to and honored. I would feel more safe with her and just, you know, it just feels It feels really overwhelming and icky to think about going to the hospital when we have a good midwife in town who has good reviews, and I just, I know I would feel safer with her. What are your thoughts on that? And then you give them a chance to respond. And they're responding not to you pointing fingers at them, but to your feelings. Or you could say, what do you think we should do? And again, and this is a place where boundaries might be important. So you may have decided that, for example, for me, I wanted to use a midwife. There was no wiggle room on that. So I made the decision that I was going to be firm on that. So you may have some boundaries that you decide are like hardline boundaries for you. And you still open up and you share those feelings. And say your partner's like, you know, I, I guess I hear you, but I, you know, it's just, it's still scary and I think it's dumb and expensive and insurance is going to pay for a hospital birth and that's what I want to do. And you might then say, you know what, I, I respect you, but I know I'll feel safer with the midwife. It's my baby. I'm the one pushing this kid out. It's going to impact my life for forever and ever. A midwife is important to me. You know, I'll work part-time to pay for the birth. And that's just, you know, that's important to me. And that's the choice that I'm making. That, ultimately, I hope that that's not a discussion that you have to have with that kind of a firm boundary. But that is an example of setting a boundary. And you won't always have a boundary. Like you might share why something feels really important to you and ask your husband or partner's opinion on it. And he gives a solution. And it may not be the solution that you would think is best, but you're, you know, it's an okay solution. And you appreciate that he took your feelings into account 
and made a decision and you're like, okay. So I'm not saying that you have to have a hard boundary or that you have to disagree every time if he doesn't propose a solution that is exactly the solution that you would have thought about. Sometimes he'll think about a much better solution than you could have thought about um, because men are problem solvers. And especially, again, because what they want is happiness for you, they'll often come from that. Now, when you first start sharing in this way, number one, it can be terrifying because it is really, really, really vulnerable to share what you're feeling, especially if you've been hurt in the past, because you're worried that he's going to take those, um, you know, those feelings and twist them and attack you with them. And, and if that is something that happens consistently, I would say it, probably it would be good to seek counseling because some relationships can be bad relationships. Some people can be toxic and they won't respond really well. And a counselor or therapist can help you navigate that and figure out what to say. But oftentimes when you're that vulnerable in a relationship and when you share your feelings, your partner wants to meet you. He wants to make you happy. He wants to listen. Um, he wants to be there for you and he will try and think about a solution. So those are some tips for communicating your needs and relationships. And remember, it goes back to those feelings and understanding your own feelings and your own needs. And then communicating those needs, particularly in feelings, works well. Now, if you're talking with a care provider, I think it's important uh, with a care provider, you're probably understanding your feelings is important because it helps you be grounded and why this is important to you. But I think with a care provider also, uh, you present more factual information. And with your partner, like for example, if you were trying to convince your partner to have a home birth, you might say, I want to email you this study about home birth safety or whatever, you know, especially if you think that would assuage fears that they have about safety. Um, but with a care provider, you know, you're going to come from a level that's a little bit more uh, professional and like communicating in, in the workplace, but also frank, you know. So you might say, for example, I know that you want me to follow this protocol for gestational diabetes, but I really want to see if I can get it under control with diet. And I've researched re uh, Lily Nichols' work. I know I've, I've mentioned Lily in a couple podcasts now because it's just, it's a good situation. It's one that comes up a lot um, where the evidence in practice is not up to date with the actual evidence. So you would say, you know, Lily Nichols is a, is a registered dietitian and she's done tons and tons and tons of research into this. This is her area of passion and specialty. And I'm going to follow her information. Um, you know, that is talking with your care provider and you're coming from a congenial place, but you're also coming from a firm place. And understanding all of your emotions and feelings underneath that, like fear of getting in trouble, fear of rejection, all of these little girl kind of feelings probably come up, especially when you're talking to an authority figure. Um, but when you understand that, it helps you to realize that those are there and to say, I'm going to set those aside for right now and I'm going to go in and be firm. I also feel like when you're talking with a care provider, it can be helpful to, to take backup. So in one of my pregnancies, I, I had concurrent care with an OB for a little bit of time because of some issues that were going on. And this OB, uh, it was going to be across 28 weeks, which is when usually you get the Rogam shot during pregnancy. And I've chosen not to have Rogam in my pregnancies. I've chosen to have it postpartum with my arch positive babies. And if you're interested in that, I do have a podcast episode about it. I'll link in the show notes. But anyways, I took um, 
one of my midwife's apprentices with me. And to that appointment when I was going to decline the Rogam, you know, I just wanted to go in and get done what I needed to get done with the OB. But he was like, you know, it's 28 weeks, it's time to do this. And I just was ready to, to decline that. So anyways, I did take backup in with me. Because that was helpful to me. It boosted my morale and that kind of thing. And then I said this as well in last week's episode, but I just want to uh, reiterate it, is being curious. So be curious and ask, try and understand, you know, why do you feel that way? Why do you make that recommendation? Being genuinely curious is disarming to the other person. It helps lower that defensive wall that might come up. And you may have some people who are particularly set in their ways who are going to just feel combative regardless of your demeanor, but your demeanor can help. So it's not, curiosity is not subservient. It is simply being curious, willing to look at things from all sides Open-minded could be another word that you would use. Respectful. So that is coming from a place where you're conveying, you know what, I want to listen to you and hear you, but I may not take your advice (laughs) ultimately. But it can be helpful. I will link to um, Hannah's podcast. I did interviews with Hannah, a couple of them, and I will link to them because when you hear her tone of voice as she talks about talking to her care provider, she she uses some of the phrases and the intonation that she used when using her care provider. And I feel like she came across as very firm and also very respectful. And it's a good model if you're wanting to figure that out. So again, being curious and open to hearing their perspective can help you stand both firm because it helps you to feel like you're looking at things in a balanced way which strengthens your own position when you believe i've considered all the alternatives i've been open-minded and i still want to decline this procedure you feel more confident yourself whereas you might think uh well you know what if i'm just saying no to this and i don't really understand it and i'm just saying no on principle you know maybe they're right and and you can feel wishy-washy or unsure of yourself so this goes back to that gathering information that I talked about too. But so the, all of these tips I hope are helpful for you um, in figuring out, you know, what is going to work for me with communication. But what I want you to take away most from this session is number one, to believe in your worth, believe that you deserve to feel good and happy And that it's your right to look at your feelings and to think about your feelings and to understand them. And then also to shift, to do that Pollyanna shift. Um, but, But you don't do that shift prematurely. You look at the situation first and you understand it. And then I also want you to realize that your feelings are valid. Your feelings can be really scary. Because it's getting, when you decide to say, I'm not going to look at the other person as making me feel one way or the other. But I'm actually going to dig in and figure out what does this feel like for me. That can feel vulnerable and, and, and difficult. But it's also empowering because it helps you take that agency for your life. And either choose to shift or choose to take action. Or choose to say, you know, this is in a self-care episode. But choose to say, like this This happened to me. I'll give one more example and then I'll be done. I feel like my pastor who's always like, let me tell one more story and I'll be done. And 30 minutes later, he's finally done. Um, and I love him. But 
the this was one day I think last week or maybe the week before and it had just been a really 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 intense week like emotional intensity coming out the wazoo lots of stressful situations and I was sitting down and I was doing again homeschool planning you can tell what season of year it is and I just kind of felt sick I felt like I was hitting the wall I felt hopeless and overwhelmed and I knew it wasn't because of the homeschool planning like, it's like I look at the homeschool planning and I think we've made good progress, but this person, this person, this person, and this person aren't quite where I want them to be. And it feels overwhelming to think about catching them up. And But I knew that that really wasn't it. I knew that the real thing was, is, gosh, there is so much else going on right now. And I feel so overwhelmed and so overloaded. And I said, I know that what I need to do right now is give myself a break. And I got up, I collected my dog. I collected his leash and we went on a walk because I knew that it wasn't going to serve me to keep looking at that page and to keep feeling more and more hopeless and more and more overwhelmed. I knew it wasn't going to help me to do business work. I just knew it wasn't going to help me. I knew sitting in front of a computer wasn't going to help me. So I took a walk. Sometimes I'll do other things like get up and work in the kitchen or something or I'm just going to take time to read to the kids, especially if everybody's kind of fried and frazzled all the kids sometimes collecting and reading a book can help but again the the point of that is is I said in the moment I sat down and said what's going on right now isn't actually the root of this problem it might be part of it homeschooling definitely contributes to the overwhelm at some time but it's not actually something I don't feel like I can handle it's just the collective and I'm I'm hitting a breaking point I need to take a break before I snap. And so I honored that. And that's something that can be helpful for you as a mom. And again, it doesn't, at the very beginning of the episode, I talked about, like, I feel like a lot of what we see is is inauthentic online about moms taking breaks for themselves and, you know, like wine breaks or spa days or whatever. And I mean, I would love to take a spa day if somebody wants to gift me that. Just, you know, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I'll let you know you pick the spa in my area. I'm there. But, you know, what I'm talking about is, is when we search our feelings and when we look at our feelings and when we realize where we really are, like I said that day, I really do realize that I am teetering on the edge of burnout and I am about to break and I need to, I need to step away even for a half hour walk with my dog and that will be healing and give me some perspective and help me to do that shift. That's what I'm talking about. And it may start really small. Like I said earlier, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to drink. And and get to the point where you can say, gosh, I realize that I am, I am right there on burnout. And have that self-awareness. I need this support right now. I need to be able to call somebody right now. You know, you may not be there at first. But you may get there. And learning to look and examine your feelings helps you learn to communicate what you need effectively and really being able to communicate your feelings is that core that you want to be able to do especially in relationships with people that you love authentically sharing what you're feeling is very vulnerable but it's important and usually people will respond to that with respect because if you're not necessarily asking them and and, and notice that I wasn't asking anybody to solve those problems that I've shared throughout this episode, but being aware of them and realizing either I want to have a conversation with somebody 
Like the home birth example that I gave, I want to have a conversation with my husband or partner about that, sharing feelings. Or I'm going to let it go like I shared with the situation at church. Or I'm going to stand in the leadership role like I shared the situation with, you know, with Phoenix being a bit naughty. You know, those are, those are different things, but it's all looking at you and your feelings, considering yourself worthy, and then taking appropriate action on that. And it may start with baby steps and it may feel difficult at first. It may just start with you journaling your feelings and not sharing them with anybody else. That's how it started for me. And it's still hard to think about, you know, relationships with people that are really important to me. It still feels scary to share my feelings, but it's important to do. So I'm going to leave you with that because I know that this episode has already gotten pretty long. I hope that you have a blessed week this week. If you want more from me, um, check out TrustBirth101.com. That's TrustBirth101.com. That will take you to a newsletter sign up and you'll be able to get newsletters from me. Uh, And I look forward to hearing from you and how you're doing. And I will talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.